From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Happy holidays and welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-soda where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I am Mary Beth. And this week we're talking... And talk- if you are <laughs> watching us on, on Patreon, hopefully you'll see us simping hard for uh, Liquid Death. Yeah, we're saying there's our Liquid Death. Liquid Death holiday sweater. And yes, and then of course, of course, we both have our Liquid Deaths. <laughs> shells. Corporate shells. That's all we are. That's all we are. And I don't care. Uh, yeah, Mary Beth got, got the sweater and I was like, there's a sweater? And so, of course, I had to order one, too. Yes. My friend bought it for me. She said, this is the perfect thing for you. And it's very it is the it's, perfect it's thing. comfortable, too. It really is. I'm actually really warm. I know. I turned off the heat. Well, I had to turn off the heat anyway, but I was like, well, at least I'm wearing this like very thick sweater, so I will be very warm. But yes, this is, I love, I wore this during an HR meeting at work. It was really funny. Yes. I was like, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
And so, well, this week we are talking a lot of stuff. We're talking a Sam Raimi westerns, sad Irish boys, monochromatic religious horror, everybody. Yes, you got it. Melt your body. I'm so glad it was right. I just decided to go for it. So, yes. Um, <laughs> a queer romance. A queer romance and Twitter's current movie of discourse. Are those the same thing or two different things? Two different things. Okay. I was like, is this a queer romance? (laughs) Twitter's current movie of discourse. And then, of course, the spawn of a killer doll. The spawn of a killer doll. So many things to talk about. Got a lot of range going on. (laughs) Always. Always. Never a dull moment on Scarred for Life. Absolutely. All right. Sam Raimi Westerns. I want to hear. So last weekend, Steve was like, do you want to just watch something like kind of dumb and fun? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. And he said, do you want to watch The Quick and the Dead? It's on Netflix. And I was like, what is that? He's like, you don't know what The Quick and the Dead is? I'm like, no, I've never heard of it. He's like, it's the Sam Raimi Western with Sharon Stone, like playing Clint Eastwood. And I was like, turn it on immediately (laughs) and let me tell you folks it's good as hell it's goofy as shit it's a sam raimi movie but it's a sam raimi can't be take on a western and it's incredible sharon stone has never been hotter and never been like she is incredible in this movie she plays a woman who comes to compete in a quick draw elimination competition in the wild wild west (laughs) to basically we find out enact revenge against someone who killed her father and it's just like a bunch of weird characters and people shooting each other real fast. And it's really fun and it's really good. Leonardo DiCaprio is in it. And so is Gene Hackman and Russell Crowe. And everyone's like kind of hot and like sweaty and dusty and shooting guns real fast. It's great. I know I've seen this movie because uh, my dad was, is a huge Western fan. Uh-huh. And so I'm pretty sure we saw it. I don't think he liked it. I would never have watched it again because I'm not a Western person. I did not realize it was directed by Sam Raimi. Did not realize that. Sure is. And it, it so I'm not like so Steve really likes Westerns. I am not I'm not a huge fan. I can appreciate some of them, but that's just like not for me. This mm-hmm. one is one to watch. Cause it's a Sam Raimi. You do like he does like the crazy zooms and like yeah. it's very campy and it it doesn't feel like kind of the usual kind of maybe typical Westerns. And also Sharon Stone is in it. There's no love interest. She's a bad bitch. She doesn't fall in love with anybody. She's like doing it. And it's just like, it's incredibly well done. And again, it's silly. It's not perfect, but it's just like, wow, perfect in its own way. So that's on Netflix, The Quick and the Dead. Sam Raimi stays winning forever. (laughs) Man, I love him. He's such a good director. God, he's so fucking good. But, uh, everybody, yeah, melt your body. What? What is this? So, uh, this is uh, Body Melt from 1993. <laughs> okay. It is part of my um, <laughs> backlog. This one was recommended by former guests of the show and also um, a fellow patreon member which is awesome carter smith director the love carter smith. of my life love him he's such a wonderful carter human being is the best we love you he really is <laughs> i love him and i honestly you know they always say like don't meet your heroes and then we talk to carter and i'm just like no sometimes you can 
Carter and I got soup dumplings in Montreal. That was incredible. We love you, Carter. See, I'm jealous. I want this. I want this for me. We're going to make it happen. Anyway, I know. body belt. <laughs> okay, yeah. So This has become a Carter Smith stand podcast. That's it. <laughs> really, any podcast should be. Come on. It's true. I agree. I agree. Turns out I have seen this movie before. <laughs> love that for you. I have seen it. I watched it pre-podcast. Uh, uh, I actually uh, wrote a review for it. <laughs> but this was like wait. one of the first things that, that I did on my, when I had my site. And uh-huh. I completely forgot until I started watching this. I was like, oh, I remember this movie. <laughs> so if anyone is watching my letterbox and sees that it is a repeat, yes, it is a repeat. Uh, but boy, is this a fun movie. It is, it's a Australian film uh, that like takes a whole bunch of subgenres. There is a little bit of like hillbilly uh, horror. There's a little bit of like uh, medical horror. There's um, a cop procedural in the middle of it. There's like a town or like a small little cul-de-sac of a place that is being experimented on. And it opens up with like a really cool synth track and a hot sweaty woman and a hot sweaty man. <laughs> get dick in like the first two minutes of the movie. Sick. Um, she has injected him with this experimental drug because he is finally getting a conscious and doesn't like what they're doing. He ends up driving to the, the, the cul-de-sac where they're experimenting on, on these, these people crashes and tentacles start pouring out of his throat and he dies. The cops show up and start investigating it. And then we follow the people of Pebbles Court, which is this this small little cul-de-sac that is apparently owned by this pharmaceutical corporation. And they're giving them vitamins and stuff to take every day. And they're trying out this new uh, vitamin on the people. And so we follow each individual family a little bit as they go on their things. There's a, there's two guys that go on like a trip and end up getting caught in like a uh, t- Texas, Chains- blah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of situation. Um, that is also connected with the pharmaceutical company. So there's like, there's a lot going on here. Um, the editing is really good. There's a lot of really cool editing shots in this, okay. uh, particularly intermingling different uh, things that are happening into like one giant like shot that really works really incredibly well. This The special effects are fantastic. There's a lot of, um, there's an exploding penis. We have <laughs> a, a sentient placenta. That's not, you know, I'm going to say it's a phrase I never thought I would ever hear in my life. And I have. So thank you for that, I think. You're welcome. There's um, a lot of goop, a lot of goo, a lot of people um, having tentacles coming out of various parts of their bodies. Uh, it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. It's a vinegar syndrome release. I had as much fun rewatching it as I did the first time. This is one of those gems. So... Thanks, Carter, for having me watch this again. But I, I, t- I totally forgot that I'd seen it before. But uh, I'm glad I did. I think I get I get body melt and street trash mixed up together because they both involve people melting. Mm-hmm. So I know they're very different, ish. But ish, but I mean, similar, kind of similar. Similar, but I need to. I really want to watch this one. It's good. I think it's on Tubi. Oh yeah. Okay. A lot of a lot of vinegar syndrome stuff has been on Tubi. I've noticed. I've been watching it off my Blu-rays, but um, cool. yeah, so it's out there. I I highly recommend it. This was a this was a fun one. Fuck yeah. Okay. 
Um, taking a swing to something different. What sad Irish boys is this? I'm guessing this is Banshees. Yes, this is the Banshees of Inisherin, the new Martin McDonough movie. I am trying to get through the list of like things I want to watch before the end of the year. That's not just horror. Um, and this was one very high on my list. I love his movie in Bruges, which he did uh, previously with uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, who both again star in this film. And so I was very excited to watch it. And I kind of uh, forced my family to watch it when I was home over the weekend. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a really good movie. But my 20 year old brother had already seen it. I was like, I love this movie. And I was like, okay, little cinephile. Like, that's exciting to hear. <laughs> and so, uh, well, we lost my parents while watching it. Uh, stepdad didn't like it. My mom fell asleep uh, because they don't, they just, they're, they like action movies. And this movie is very quiet, but it's absolutely fucking incredible. It is so fucking sad. And it's not a horror movie, but I would argue it's horrific. Um, I've heard people call it a thriller at some points. And <laughs> I've seen the, the trailer and I'm like, I don't, I, I, I was like, I don't really see that there, but. It's, 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 a, it's definitely like a dark, dark comedy. Okay. Like fucking dark comedy that's, that is like fucked up. So it follows these two guys, it's two, it's during the Irish Civil War, it's the 1920s, in this uh, fictional island of Inishirin, off the coast of Ireland, it's an Irish island. These two friends, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, they've been friends, and then one day Brendan Gleeson's character decides, uh, no, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And Colin Farrell's character, Parik, I think is how you say it, um, Parik, is like, what the fuck? I want, like, we're, we've been best friends forever. I don't understand. And it's basically, it's a breakup movie, but with two guy friends and a guy kind of discovering that everyone thinks he's kind of an idiot and that he isn't, like, no one takes him seriously. And this friend breakup kind of having him realize that he doesn't really have anyone or anything. And it's rough, but it's beautifully shot. Like, it's absolutely gorgeous. The script is incredible. The acting is incredible and it just builds and builds and builds. And I think Martin McDonough is really good at these kinds of things where it's like, it feels like slice of lifey, but taken to a, like almost like to a, even a, like a little bit more extreme. Like at one point, Brendan Gleeson is cutting off his fingers and like throwing them at, at, at uh, Colin F Farrell's house. So like, it's a movie that isn't horror, but it has horrific elements that are, like, absolutely ridiculous. Um, but it's a gorgeous movie. It's, it's, it des it's all the praise it's getting it deserves, to put it that way. Okay. I, you know, I was thinking, I was like, have I even seen any movies that this uh, guy's directed, Martin McDonough? McDonough, McDonough, yeah. McDonough. And I guess I have seen three billboards. Yeah, I know. That's a little iffy. Iffy, iffy. That's an iffy one. Uh, this but I've not seen any of the other ones he did. In Bruges is really good. It's, again, it's a that's lot of, I've like, heard. existential talking about your purpose in life with, like, a violent bent to it. So that's what he's good at. So. And I don't think I've seen Seven Psychopaths, although it looks familiar. Maybe I have. I have seen. I'm just looking at this cast, and I'm like, yeah. I think, 
think I've seen it, but yeah. But so you know, if you hear people talking about the Banshees of Inisherin, definitely oh, check yeah. it out if you want to be a little bit sad. <laughs> um, and also, please um, use subtitles if you can, because the Irish accents uh, are strong with this one. Yeah, I bet it's incredible. Um. Uh, so a queer romance. Yeah. So swipping, 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 swipping. Swippin'. We're swippin' to something completely different. Uh, it's this. There's this Netflix uh, series that is called Smiley. And it is a Spanish uh, series um, from Spain, Spanish. And it is about this hunky bartender at a gay club that uh, is tired of the hookup scene. And he has this boyfriend, well this fuck buddy that he wanted something to be more, um, more with. And he gives him a call on the landline instead of calling from his cell phone in order to try to like get him to pick up. Cause he's not answering his phone calls and he leaves this really long voicemail. And it turns out that the person he called was not his boyfriend, but some other random guy who is an architect and, he's like, maybe I should call him back. And so they call back, they start this little flirtatious thing through the phone. And then the architect shows up at the bar for like a a date. And he's totally not the kind of guy that, um, Alex, the bartender would go for because Alex, the bartender is a two gym kind of guy who's like drinking protein shakes and has like abs for days. And, um, Bruno, the architect, is sort of like a, not daddy, but like in, you know, inching into the in his 30s. He's successful. He's a little in TV world frumpy. He's not frumpy at all. He's very good looking, but he's like definitely not the kind of abs for days, empty headed fuck boy that Bruno or that Alex typically goes for. And if through like, um, a whole like what eight eight episodes it kind of follows the them sort of like missing each other hooking up maybe thinks something's there but there's like this there's a problem in the queer community where no one want it's almost like people want to win something and want to be the kind of not feel like they need to be attached and so there's like that plays with that expectation where that we see inside both their heads at, at one point as they like see the scene play out in like a more beneficial way and then because no one wants to make that first move and be vulnerable, they just end up leaving. And so there's like a lot of that going on here. And we start following them and we follow the side characters. There's like a, a straight couple um, that are friends with the uh, the architect. And we also follow Bruno's um, uh, bar owner friend, a woman who is a lesbian and is wanting t- something more from her relationship. And so we follow all these different characters and it's uh, this little kind of fun, s- funny, sad, uh, surprisingly moving portrayal of dating in the queer community in 2022. And it's good. It's I really enjoyed Smiley. it. Smiley, it's on, where, where is it streaming? It's, it's on Netflix and it's, it's called Netflix. Smiley. Cool. And it's really good. I've never heard I highly of it. recommend I had not heard of it. It just debuted, uh, I think, the 7th of okay. this month. So mm. it's new. That's all. And I think it's kind of flying under the radar, but yeah. uh, I recommend it. Hell yeah. Okay. 
Cool. Um, monochrome religious horror, though. Boy, we are just woo 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 whiplashing. Um, so again, trying to get through my 2022 releases, uh, I watched The Righteous by mm. uh, directed by Mark O'Brien. This came out in 2021, like in the festival circuit, but it didn't come to Arrow, like it didn't get a, a wide release until this year. So I'm considering it a 2022 release. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is black and white religious horror film where um, Henry... Cesarni, yes, Henry Cesarni plays a a man who was once a priest but fell in love with another woman, so he left the church to be with his wife, who's played by Mimi Kazik, 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 Kuzik, Mimi Kazik. <laughs> and we're just having problems with names today. Yeah, um, but the two of them, it's like it's it's really interesting because it's like you don't see old kind of older couples in horror and older couples who got together later in their lives kind of, and you don't see that a lot, like older couples who get together later in their lives and like are really happy and in love with each other. And we see that here, but there's, they also have suffered a loss and in kind of, they go to a very um, isolated place to kind of sit in in grief and kind of heal. And then one day a, uh, a young man stumbles out of the woods screaming and says, I've been, I've been hurt. Like I need help. And they let him into his home, into their home. And this man played by Mark O'Brien, who is the director, uh, is sinister and insidious to say the least. So this is another movie that is very much about monologues. Watching a lot of, a lot of talking movies this week, very much about discussing faith and like, sins of the past etc but the perf- the way that it's performed is incredible henry cesarini is like on another level in this film he's absolutely incredible and all of the performances like the trio of of cesarini kuzik and o'brien it's just it's it's incredible to watch it's like it's kind of like it gives you goosebumps and then the score is also absolutely incredible um let me find who this who's, who did the score but it is downright chilling and it it is obviously um a religious horror film but it's not like possession horror and it is a lot of talking about faith but it's also talking about like a very an angry god a god that is not the merciful god perhaps we think of and i think that it it gives me it's not exactly like um the Dark and the Wicked, but it kind of gives me similar vibes. Like they I was going to ask good, because yeah, because you were like get, when you were explaining this, I was I was definitely feeling a little bit of uh, Dark and the Wicked vibes. Yes, it definitely has the Dark and the Wicked vibes for sure. Um, way more dialogue, but it it was it was one of the movies I've been like really wanting to see and trying to make time for, and I'm so glad I did. I don't know if it's going to crack my top 10, but like, it's just one of the more beautiful movies I've seen this year. And also a movie that has like one of the most foreboding and like just discomforting vibes I've seen in a very long time. Like it, mm. the atmosphere of it is incredibly unsettling. Um, so highly recommend it's on the um, Arrow video player. If you subscribe to that, you can also find it on VOD and things like that, but I have an account. So it's another one that's kind of, falling under the under the radar it seems like a little bit the righteous yeah 
It it's so weird. Like it had. Sorry, um, Andrew Staniland is the composer, but it had it was so weird. Like it had all this festival buzz, and then it came out like middle of the like, I think July or something, and like no one ever talked about it again when it came out, which is so weird, and a bummer. So hopefully, I've been trying to be like people watch it. It's really good. One of like the most be- I think one of the most like technically beautiful movies of the year. So check it out. I think so. I think it's like impeccable. Like it's black and white, but I think it's done impeccably. So check 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 it out. <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna do another swing from tiny indie horror movie to a I some I'm assuming not that. So the the subject of Twitter discourse, Terry. Uh. Yeah, and I didn't know if I would, if I was going to talk about it or not because there's there's a lot there's a lot of discourse around James Cameron and a lot of discourse around Avatar: The Way of Water, and it, some of it I think is definitely warranted. Yeah, but I <laughs> I I love this movie. Okay, I loved Avatar: The Way of Water. Uh, Yes, some of art kind of made me feel a little icky because we're still playing with the idea of people inhabiting uh, the Navi bodies that aren't Navi. And there's definitely a lot of subtext and a lot of things you can look into that there to find problems with. Absolutely. But what I think this movie does incredibly well is it focuses on a blended family. Okay. Between um, Jake Sully and um, his wife, uh, Natiri, and their kids, and then also um, adopted kid played by Sigourney Weaver. Um, Wait, what? Who is... Yeah, uh, so... <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about the intro spoilers. I, this is a very long movie, and this is only spoilers for like the very first opening bit. So when Sigourney Weaver's character died in the first movie, her avatar was somehow pregnant. What? By who? What? That is a that is a question. That is a question. And gives birth to Kiri, who the Sullys have um adopted into their family. We also have um, a, a, a young kid named Spider. Who <laughs> I is, saw the memes about Spider. Who is um, that? Were, I, as I enjoyed, I enjoyed watching um, Spider, but he's it is a very silly little side story where played by Jack Chan, Jack Champion, and he is the son of. Quaritch, uh, Stephen Lang's <laughs> character from the first movie. And because he was born on Pandora, he was not old enough to go into the sleep pods to leave. And so he is the first human to grow up on Pandora. And he also kind of gets um, sort of semi-adopted by uh, Jake and Natiri. And so it's about like this family core that are trying their hardest to stay together and raise their kids and have a life while um, Stephen Lang ends up coming back 
in a form of an avatar and is on like a rampage to murder him and his family. And so they leave uh, the Navi tribe that they were with and go to find the water tribe and live and start picking up that. So most of the movie is about them kind of assimilating in this other tribe and in uh, learning how to hold their breath underwater, learning how to swim, all that kind of stuff of living there as opposed to being sky like tree people. And it sounds ridiculous as I'm explaining it, but it feels very uh, natural as you're watching this movie. And honestly, the reason why I love this movie so much is I love underwater stuff so much. I love things that have to do with water. I love any kind of movie that takes place near, in, or under water is like instantly one of my favorites. And James Cameron in water, you just can't go wrong. Abyss, Titanic, this, I'm sorry. He knows how to shoot underwater incredibly well. And I, to the point that like, I believe that everything that's happening is real and not CG creations that are floating through water. And I just, I don't know. I, I just was blown away by the way this movie looks. It made me really want to go back to Pandora. <laughs> like, like the first movie made me want to go to Pandora. Um, so I think, and there's a lot in here about conservation, about the importance of keeping nature. And that's, so there's a lot of like hippy dippy kind of stuff in here. And yes, there is some very problematic aspects of it, but I don't think it's necessarily as black and white maybe as people want to do on the internet. Mm. But I mean, if you like the first one, I like the first one. I I think on a rewatch, it's probably a three, three and a half movie. This one is a four or higher. Oh, I really, okay. It really, it really moved me. I really liked it. And I'm oh. excited to see what they're going to do next. I'm sorry to say. Cool. I loved it. Yeah. They, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but like Avatar is ridiculous. The whole, I feel like you have to seeing it is what is so incredible about it. Like mm-hmm. how they accomplish it. I, yeah. I've never seen a movie as beautiful as this. Huh. Okay. Or as re- well realized, I would say as well. You might have piqued my interest in going to see it because I really didn't have much interest in seeing it. But and he knows how to shoot a climax. That the end of this movie is thrilling. I'm very Absolutely curious thrilling. to see how they're going to do. It was like they're doing a five in total, six. Well, so he has like plans all the way up to I think five or six movies, but he's shot three has been shot, and they shot the first act of four. Because I think there's a time, probably going to be a time jump. I have a feeling that once we get into three and four, we're going to be leaving um, Jake and Nateria behind for their kids. And so I think that in four, potentially, there would be like a time jump. Okay. I mean, you know immediately whether you're going to want to go see this movie or not. But I would say as fans of the first one, if you are a fan of the first one, there's a lot to enjoy here. Sorry, it's not Avatar. Problematic. But... <laughs> it's not Avatar. I'm just sick. And now, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this movie, having seen it for the first time. We are talking uh, the seat of Chucky. Seat of Chucky, we are. This is a, this franchise is really good at swinging in quality. Is how I will start this conversation. I didn't dislike it, but Bride, I loved Bride so much. And I think that I had been so hyped up about watching Seed of Chucky because of all of, you know, 
I've seen, I've edited and read a lot of articles about this movie and its use of, you know, like non-binary, but, you know, Glenn, Glenda being a non-binary, gender non-conforming trans character. And I was excited to watch it. It didn't land as much as I thought it was going to for me. I think, I think it feels like they saw the success of Bride of Chucky and that humor and they swung really hard to be like, oh, people like this kind of like, the one-liners, like, like the the even more one-liners with Tiffany and all of that. And, like, they didn't always land. They felt a little bit cheaper and not as clever. But I fucking love a meta-narrative with Jennifer Tilly being attacked by Tiffany and Tiffany wanting to be Jennifer Tilly. Absolutely incredible. 10 out of 10 plot, I will say. Like, incredible. Because... My problem with Bride of Chucky was that I didn't give a shit about Julia Stiles and her boy toy, but having Jennifer Tilly be like the main focus with them, it was incre- it's just so good. It's incredible. Yeah, that's my favorite part is I f- and I forgot how meta it gets with that, but I loved Tiff kind of simping for for uh, Jennifer Tilly, uh, the, the everyone being concerned about Jennifer Tilly's weight, which was a thing in the nineties, uh, just like. All, all of that, the, there's like a, a quote, and I don't remember exactly what the context for it, because I just wrote this quote down, but Bound is on TV, Gina Gershon is fingering me. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're on the phone. They're on the three a call, and it's Tiffany on the phone with the assistant, and they're like, what? And their assistant's like, why are you screaming, Jennifer? She's like, oh, it's Bound on the TV. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's right. So, I, I full disclosure, I watched this... Uh, Early like Saturday night, and I think I was um, falling asleep from AMP. <laughs> so like Hell I had yeah. my phone up and I was taking notes on it because uh, I had a lot to watch this weekend. And I was like, if I don't watch this now, I don't know when I'm going to be able to watch it next. And uh, so I was, I was, I was watching it there, and uh, I uh, yeah. So I I just had that line down. Apparently, it made Amby and Terry laugh, and I was like, I don't remember the context for this line. I do like the Jennifer's. Um, assistant is sending her fake fan mail like there's a lot of sort of like making fun of herself in a way that i thought was really interesting particularly considering the time period this was coming out on and her career was waning in a way i love that i i love that like that self-awareness of kind of her being i like the reinventing myself as the virgin mary and like i (laughs) just in red man's movie in red man's movie i just i i love that kind of poking fun at herself and i think I always thought she was so charming, but this is like, she's just, she has such a sense of humor about herself and what she's mm-hmm. doing. And she, you can tell she loves doing it. She's like, yeah, I'll voice a fucking killer, a killer doll. Like, who gives a shit? And I just think she's, I just wish she was in more stuff. I think she is so incredible. And I think she's more she than really just is. like a joke. I think she does have really good comedic timing. And I just love that these movies give her multiple ways to shine and i'm glad that this show keeps like i haven't i've only watched a little bit of the show but like her in the show like oh just jennifer tilly forever jennifer tilly in everything give her an award or something she is just so good but i guess like i i did enjoy the glad i was like surprised about the glenn and glenda stuff going on here now that's what a lot of people talk about with glenn and glenda but i don't i would when glenn when the character becomes 
crazy psycho Tiffany at the end, I was like, ooh, I don't know. This might have lost me a little bit in their representation. We are going into, like, Norman Bates, Buffalo Bill territory of, like, because, again, they have these really great conversations of, like, sometimes I'm a boy, sometimes I'm a girl. It doesn't matter. And I was like, okay, like, I'm feeling these conversations. But then all of a sudden it becomes, like, the evil, almost evil trans character trope. And I was a little bit disappointed in that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think, I think the context of the the time this came out too is really important. Yes, like, I was going to say two thousand four, and I do know that there. I, I did find because I was I was curious if I could find um, some like quotes on it, and there was one where Mancin- Mancini said the note that came down was this is too gay. And he said there was a lot of the core horror fans who are young, straight guys who were like, what the hell is this? He's remembering, thinking back on this time. He talks about how I think why gay men are drawn to horror is that outside identification with figures ranging from Frankenstein's monster to Carrie. You have the lonely, misunderstood monster or what the world perceives as a monster. But we, the audience, are inside them with their hearts. And we know that they're beautiful, but misunderstood and corrupted by the evil world. And so I think that there's some interesting things definitely going on here, but I do agree that some of the, the way that it tackles, uh, Glenn slash Glenda is a little early two thousands. Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I'm trying to read through. So red Broadwell wrote a really awesome article for dread central about, um, Seed of Chucky and Horror Outside of the Binary, which we'll link in the show notes. They wrote this article for uh, earlier this year, and it's a really, really awesome, like, digging into Glenn Glenda's character and how they are kind of, like, the importance of them not being anatomically correct dolls versus what we've seen before and how gender identity crisis kind of shapes their character. And it's a really awesome article and I can't find just one quote cause it's all so good. So I'm going to mm-hmm. link it in the show notes. So I think that's, it's a really interesting look. And they also analyze the part where Glenn slash Glenda becomes like the evil doll, like that evil character. And so I think it, it is very 2004 representation, but it is the only non-binary representation. I think that we have explicitly seen seen and, at all in horror, maybe? Like, I don't know if that's confirmed or not, but there is, like, we don't see non-binary representation in the horror genre. So, I mean, I think, like you said, Mancini did what he could in 2000, for the 2004 lens and understanding, maybe, of that, of gender politics. Yeah. I did like the, the, the line that Glenn and Glenda, Glenn or Glenda says, where, can I be both? Yes. I think that the the TV series, because I, I here's the thing. Um, I think I'm just bringing this on the in the middle of recording, but I think we should tackle the TV series too after we continue with this. Like, okay, maybe two episodes a week or something. Okay, because they're like 40 minutes, so that'd be like an hour and a half. Because I I definitely I think that the second season is doing things with this storyline that I think kind of um, redeems maybe this character. Oh, okay, good for you. Well, I I still really enjoyed it. I think. It's not on par with Bride, but I still think it's no. doing a lot of really cool stuff. It's doing the meta stuff. It's doing a lot of interesting work with gender. Jennifer Tilly is a dream. <laughs> I loved her stuff, honestly, in this. But I, I'm still, of the two, I'm more of a Bride of, of Chucky fan than the Seed of Chucky. I think I am, too. I think I'll I'll agree with that. 
But then what? So next week we are continuing this journey with Curse of Chucky. We sure are, and that is another um, another curveball of a film because we are no longer in the the horror comedy realm with this one. We are going gothic. Oh, really? I know that Fiona Duroff is in this one, or mm-hmm. she comes like this and she's introduced. So I'm excited for that. I like this one a lot. Okay, there's all there's. Such a like big time chunks in between these movies. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, because what? Because what? Bride of Chucky came out in two thousand ninety. Oh. Bride of Chucky came out in ninety eight. Yeah, ninety eight, and then Seed was two thousand four, and, and then, then Curse is like what twenty fourteen. Twenty thirteen. Mm-hmm. Weird. Well, I'm excited to watch it. I really enjoy this one. Cool. Sweet. But uh, who are we talking with on Monday, Mary Beth? So, um, on Monday, we are chatting with Alex Phillips. Uh, he is the director of the incredibly divisive horror film, All Jacked Up and Full of Worms. Yeah. And uh, we're talking about A Clockwork Orange. So, it's a wild conversation, everybody. About a wild, about two very wild movies. Two very wild movies, so, yeah. So, buckle up. It's a weird one. Get some <laughs> But, listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch a film that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for things we should be covering? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at scarredpodcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, subscribe, and sign up for our Patreon. We had two episodes drop for the highest tier. You could be watching us right now with um, our fun you know, little surprise festive shirts. There's some antics that happen sometimes. We're recording Fresh Wounds for January tomorrow, and we're really excited for it. I cannot wait to revisit this one. Uh, So yeah, there's a lot of content coming your way. Content, content, content. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to Eric Power for artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, 
and monetize their podcast everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>